Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Man, fun morning so far, huh? I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah, you can clap, you can clap, you can clap. I just dig it. I mean, we've got, we had baptisms going on. I mean, God's changing people's lives. We've got this killer music going on. I mean, you're not going to hear music, better music anywhere in the West Valley. You know, like any bars or nightclubs. Like, no one's got it on us, man. It's the way that it is. Hey, listen, before we get started, by the way, I'm Tim Jacobs, the lead pastor here. If you're a guest with us today, I am so glad you're here. I just want to take a moment and uh, just kind of address this whole political thing, and then we'll kick into what I want to talk about. First of all, I just want to say I'm really glad that we did the series that we did leading up to this election because we really tried hard to say, you know what, there, it's going to be contentious. We believe that Jesus is the one who is the, who's ultimately the only proper authority, the only one we put our hope in, the only one we put our faith in. And, you know, we're not, we're not a news service. We're not some political action committee. We're a church. And so that's, our, that, that's where we stand on stuff. And God is the one who raises up leaders. And God is the one who shapes the arc of history. So I want to tell you, if you're here today and, and you're, you are happy about the election outcome, uh, that's great. Make sure you're not so happy that you're like, oh, all my problems are solved. Everything is right. I'm finally, you know, finally everything is going to be good again. Because that's almost putting too much of your faith in, in government or in human power. And at the same time, if you're like overly frustrated and sad and angry about the outcome of the election, that's kind of a check on your heart too. That maybe you're putting too much faith and too much stock in one person or in the type of government that you wish that you had. And maybe you're letting your emotions be ruled by something other than God, which is what we've been talking about week after week after week. So I just want to tell you that, that we're going to continue to be all about Jesus here. We're going to continue, continue to, we will pray for our new president. And, and, you know, you see all this rioting and you see all this anger and stuff on social media and uh, it's a terrible thing. I'm proud of you guys because, and I really tried hard too. I want to make sure, because I know when I put anything out there, it's not just me. I represent you. And I don't want to embarrass anybody by anything that I write. And so I was really tried hard to make sure that, that we represent Jesus correctly in all formats, you know, in, in, in person and on social media, online or whatever else. But I want to say this too. There are some people who, um, and maybe because the media is driving this or maybe certain things that they've heard, are really are afraid about what might happen to them. Um, you know, some of the things they've heard, they may be afraid about their families being deported or that kind of thing. And, you know, whether those fears are, whether you understand those fears and whether you, uh, you, you think those fears are legitimate, if they're there, they're there. And so I just want to encourage us to, to continue to be people of compassion for all people, okay? And so if, if there's people out there that are afraid and rather than just dismissing that, to just, you know, say, hey, listen, I, I think it's going to be okay, um, you know, and don't worry. And I, I, I think that there, there's compassion that we can have. Because here's the, the main thing I want to say about it is this. We're all, we all live in the same community. We're all, we're all come here because we, we live locally. So you're my, you're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. We're all neighbors, right? We're all neighbors to each other. I'm not going to go through the media 
to get to you. I'm not going to go through Washington, D.C. to get to you. I don't look at you through the lens of politics. I don't look at you through the lens of the election. I don't look at you through the lens of Washington, D.C. I'm supposed to look at you through the lens of Jesus. So I go, th- I go through Jesus to get to you. I don't go through Washington, D.C. to get to you. And I think so much of this is we, we split it. I've, I saw this. I saw this this week in so many different conversations going on. Neighbors n- mad at each other over something that's had, that, 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 uh, uh, where the power is concentrated thousands of miles away. And we live three doors down from each other, but now we're not talking to each other because we're so angry because we don't know how to have a conversation and we're not seeing each other the correct way. So... That's basically all I want to say about that is that continue to be the church, continue to, to be loving towards people. And honestly, there's, there's fears and everything else. I honestly, I think things are going to be okay. I really do. I really think things are going to be, going to be fine. Um, and, and, but everybody wants to get everybody upset and everybody wants to get everybody fired up because that's how you continue to hold people's attention. Now that being said, let's shift gears. By the way, speaking of neighbors, I live, my family and I, we live out here in Litchfield Park. We live in the county. We live in an unincorporated area of the valley. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of out in the sticks. So you have to go through some farm roads, you know, out to get to my house. And, you know, it's like when you live in the county, it's like you, you know how you live in the county because if people mistakenly come to, your, come to your house thinking that you're having a yard sale, you might live in the county, Right? If you mow your yard, your lawn, and you find a car, you might live in the county, right? I'm just giving you some old Jeff Foxworthy jokes, but it's kind of, sometimes it's actually kind of true. So I'm driving my car um, down into town, right? Going down Indian school, whatever else, through these, uh, on these farm road kind of things. And, and all of a sudden, as I'm driving in my car, I smell this horrible odor. I mean, it's this terrible stench. I'm like, man, my kids aren't in the car. What's going on here? And it's just terrible. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe, you know, they're fertilizing all these fields now, you know, and and been smelling that. But it's far worse than even that. And I realize after a minute or so that right along the side of the road, there is this canal that, you know, irrigates the land. And somehow, someway, it must have gotten stopped up because you could tell it was that stench of standing water. You know what I mean? Where it's like this stale, stuck, standing water that's been there for who knows how long, you know, maybe even just a few days, but it's just starting to putrefy, you know? And it's horrible. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's nothing worse than that nasty, gross, disgusting, standing water kind of smell. I was like, man, this is terrible. And the reason I bring this up to you is because water is supposed to flow. It's never, it was never designed to be stagnant. It was designed to move from one place to the other. And when it just stays there, you know this when you have a pool. If you, when you just, your pool, you have to keep dumping all kinds of chemicals in there to fight all of the stagnation that just naturally occurs because it's supposed to flow. Water is always supposed to flow. Otherwise, it starts to stink. Now, in the same way that that is the role of water, that water has that design to move from one place to the other, to constantly be in motion, God has made it so that when it comes to our lives and it comes to money and material things, they are designed to be things that are supposed to be constantly flowing from a continuous source through us 
and on to other people and other things. And so we're supposed to be kind of like channels or tributaries or conduits of the resources that God gives us and let them flow through us to other people and other things and other uses. Because when we somehow get stuck and we get stagnant where resources are flowing into us, but they aren't flowing out. Resources are coming to us and we are holding them up. We become stagnant and we kind of start to stink. You all know people like that who are stingy people. They don't even have to necessarily be very wealthy, but they're stingy and they hoard things and they're afraid of losing what little they have and they start to kind of stink. They're not very attractive people because somehow they've stopped that flow that was intended by God to be a natural thing that they are to experience as people. And we don't want to be people that stink. And so I want to help you come to grips with this idea and this understanding of the concept of what we're going to call overflow as we start our new uh, brief two-week series here uh, this month. And so if you have a Bible, turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to look at a, at a story here. Uh, and a situation that's unfolding that'll help us understand this, this timeless concept that God wants to build into us. And as you're turning there, there's kind of two mentalities I want to introduce you to and make sure that you're, you understand them. The first mentality is what you would call a scarcity mentality. And the scarcity mentality believes that life is a zero-sum game. That if somebody else has something, that, that means I don't have it. There's only so much to go around. And basically there's just like one pie and everybody gets a slice. And once that pie's gone, it, it's, it's over. There's nothing left. And so there's this constant, really what is rooted at its core is fear of losing what you have, fear of not having enough, and fear that whatever's coming from the source is gonna dry up. And so I can't, I can't afford to lose what little I have because I don't really trust that anything else is going to come. And these are people who are always looking ahead and predicting disaster and doom and using that to justify a closed hand when it comes to the stuff that they've been given. That is what you call the scarcity mentality. The other type of mentality is the abundance mentality. The abundance mentality says there may be a pie, but the pie has the ability to get bigger and to multiply. The pie has the ability to continuously always be there. And because you believe at your core that everything that you have comes from a capital S source, namely God, and he is the one who supplies everything. And as you give of what's been given to you, you are supplied with more. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you are foolishly optimistic about markets or you give everything that you have away so that you have nothing at all and you're starving. What it means is you really become that tributary. You really become that channel where resources come to you and then you use those things to be able to show love and help and, um, and grace to other people. 
And so there's really two types of ways of understanding and looking at the world as it relates to our stuff. And so in this section of scripture we're going to look at today, the letter that Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, I'll give you some background so as we read it, you won't be completely confused. What's happening is, um, obviously the church of, the letter of Corinthians is written to the church of Corinth, which is a city in Greece. Now, what Paul is saying is he's asking the Corinthians, he's going to send a guy named Titus to come and to collect basically an offering to give to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is, um, the, was kind of the original church where the, well, all the churches kind of went from there because that's where, you know, Jesus ascended into heaven and the church began at Pentecost there in Jerusalem. But over the years, it has become very difficult for them because they've been persecuted very heavily. They've been taxed brutally by the Roman government. The Roman government was not necessarily a, a fun place to, to live in. Maybe, even though we have all these nice paintings and sculptures and we go there and tour, it's a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't have wanted to live there, um, certainly in that time period. And so it was a brutal thing. And there was a, had been a famine in the land and everything else. And so life was very, very difficult for these Jerusalem Christians. And so Paul is saying, hey, listen, I want to take up an offering, and he's going to refer to an area called the Macedonian churches, which is an area to the north of the Corinthian churches. So, that, so you have Corinth, you have Macedonia to the north, and they have already given, they have already come up with their offering, and Paul is saying, hey, this guy's coming around, he's collected it from Macedonia, now he's going to come down to Corinth and collect it from you guys, and I just want you to be prepared, and I want you to have the right understanding of the role of money and stuff in our lives as it relates to what God wants us to do with it. So let's read this and let's figure out what to do with the whole issue of generosity. This is what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything— in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what we, when we talk about generosity, what should the role be in our, in, of it in our lives, and, and what does it mean, and how do we practically uh, um, appropriate that in our lives? Well, the first thing we can say about generosity is that it is a gift of God. Not the, not the stuff that comes from generosity, but the very ability to be generous is in itself a gift of God. And if we look at verse 1, it says, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the Macedonians were given by God this grace to be able to themselves give. So it is a gift of God for you and I to be generous. Now, if you, want, if you think about this, God made us in his image, right? He made us in his image, and that means that we are to be like him. 
And when we do things the way that he does, in the way that, I mean, we can't do everything that he does. When we, when we are, you know, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. When we do those kinds of things, it feels really good, and we don't even necessarily know why it feels good. It just does a lot of times. But the reason is because we are mimicking and mirroring the image of God in which we were created. So when we give, we're living as we were designed to live. Why? Because God at his core is a giving God. You say, well, God is love, so God is love, but what does God do? More than anything else, what God does is he gives. He gives life, he gives breath, he gives second chances, he gives sunrises and sunsets, he gives us each other, he gives us this beautiful world, he gives and he gives and he gives, and the thing that he gave the most was himself. He gave his son. I mean, it's an amazing thing. What other story, what other religious story depicts a God going that far out of love for those whom he's created? There's none other that even comes close. Every other God is this kind of mystical or bizarre or kind of scary individual. Our God gave us himself for our sins. So we just as we sang about several minutes ago, the, 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 his veins opened up and blood poured out as a sacrifice for us because of the things that we've done so we could be forgiven and we could be free. And this is why when we give, we are never more like God. You are never more like God than when you are giving. This is why even I think an atheist who has no belief in God at all will still give and feel really good about it. Because just because the person doesn't believe in God doesn't mean they weren't made in God's image. and doesn't mean that when they're giving, they're not acting like God and there's something in you that go, man, I feel like when I'm doing this, there's something, there's something deep and profound and amazing that's happening here. Yeah, you're tapping into the very essence of who God is and you're mirroring that in your life. It's pretty powerful. So, when we look at this, we have to say, what is this role? And, it, and it, can it actually be, rather than a burden, like part of God's grace that I'm able to give? When I was in India, I was in India back in 2009, and we had been looking at setting up a partnership with a, a church out there through Compassion International, the big organization that sponsors, you sponsor child and that kind of thing. And we had gone to this very remote part of India, very, very, very poor. I mean, there's like a lot of India's poor. This was like really poor. You had to fly, take like two airplanes, and then you had to drive for four hours, then stay in a hotel, and then drive another. I mean, it was ridiculous, you know? And so we go out to this little village, and these people were so poor that they built their houses. I'm not joking. They built their houses out of cow dung. It was dried, so it didn't smell because it was like dried. And it was actually kind of cool. The way they did it, it was like pretty innovative. I mean, it was like pretty solid. But I mean, it was cow dung that they built their house out of. And these people were so poor. In fact, they told us, they said, you guys need to be careful because you're going to see poverty like you've never seen in your life. And you're going to be so compelled to pull all the cash you have out of your wallet and slap it down right in front of them just to help them. And if you do that, you have to understand, you put a $20 bill on, the, on their, you know, little, on their ground in their little hut, and you're going to pay their, their living expenses for like three, four months, everything. And if you do that, you're going to completely upset their entire neighborhood, their entire economy, their entire community. It'd be like someone coming in and dropping a billion dollars on you, and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, it's just, it would be, it, it just wouldn't work. It would decimate everything. It would wreck their relationships. Don't do that. That's how poor they were. Well, the amazing thing about it was we, they had a church service, 
And a bunch of them came out, and this is the church that they, that they attend, and we were a part of that. And they took up an offering, and they gave it to us. And, you know, you're thinking, again, these people are so poor. I mean, I, I probably couldn't even buy a Chipotle with double chicken, you know, with the money that they gave. It's like hard, there's nothing. It's like this paltry amount. But can you imagine if this church had given us, taken up an offering for us, and we would have said, no, 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 please. Come on, I mean, you guys live in a house that's made of cow poop, okay? We're good. Keep your money. Can you imagine how dehumanizing that would have been to them? Think about that. No, we don't need your stuff. We don't need that. That would have been the most dehumanizing thing in the world. Because for them, it was elevating. And it was a privilege. And it was, it was meaningful for them to give. You know, you could stretch that same analogy. And you could apply it even here. So if someone were to come up, you, you, you were to say, you know, I want to give God a big gift. And you were to come up and say, I'm going to write a $50,000 check to Compass Church, of which I would gladly take. Can you imagine, though, if you're like, I'm going to blow my entire 401k, and I'm just going to give all this money. Can you imagine God going, "Um, excuse me, I appreciate the gesture, but last time I checked, I own the whole universe, you know? I mean, I'm like really, really wealthy, and thanks a lot, but you're 50 grand. I mean, please keep it, because that's pathetic. No, God doesn't need our money, but what does he do? He invites us to, to come into the dignity and the honor and the privilege and the elevation and the humanization of being able to give what we have in the service of someone else regardless of the amount. And so this is why you should always have, let your children have something that belongs to them so that they can learn what it's like to give. And be under and understanding it's kind of scary to part with what you have. How do I develop the ability to trust that more will come? But it also is a good thing to feel like, hey, I can give stuff. This is why I have a real problem with governments around the world that are much more socialistic and say, you know what? We're going to deprive you of your ability to voluntarily give what's yours. We're going to take from you and we're going to give it for you. Because it, and especially in a system like communism where no one has any private property at all, that's, it sounds so nice on a college campus. It is a wicked and horrible thing because it deprives the human soul of the ability to give anything that's theirs. That's why there are two commandments in the Old Testament, a part of the two of the ten, that both deal with private property. You should not steal and you should not covet what what belongs to your neighbor. Both of those assume private property. If God did not intend for us to have things to be able to give, he wouldn't have written those things into the law. And so this is very important. So the question is, and I, so I came up with this question, this question, I got, this convicted me. I'm looking at this scripture and I even asked my wife, I'm like, is this as good of a question as I think it is? I think it's a good question. And she's like, oh yeah, that's a good question. So if it's not a good question, you can blame her. But I think it's a good question. Here's the question for you. This is a soul-searching question. Did God give you what you have so that it could be yours or so that it could be yours to give? Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Did God give you what you have so that it could be yours or so that it could be yours to give? Oh, that's crazy. Because the assumption is, well, God gave this to me because he blessed me. 
Or did he give it to you to use and to give? Now, I'm not saying that you should give all of your stuff away and so you become dependent. I'm not saying that you shouldn't save for the future. The, the, the worst thing in the world is dependency upon other people. You should be able to create your life in such a way. In fact, I heard a, a very wise financial planner say years ago, you give 10% to God, 10% to yourself, and then pay everything else with that. So there's, there's wise stewardship with saving, okay? And there's, of course, there's things that you, that you have that, of course, are yours. But I'll tell you, well, on my birthday, on June 17th of this year, I bought, finally after many years, I bought this brand new car. I had had a brand new car in like 18 years. And I bought this black Honda Civic, brand new with leather seats and a sunroof. That's all I wanted was leather and a sunroof. And I, and I wanted it to be black because I love black cars, even though you have to wash them all the time. And so when I first got this car, I'm like, this is my car. Like, this is my, like, finally, you know how it is, dads, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, you lock yourself in the bathroom because it's the only time you, when, you have, when you have kids, you can actually be alone, you know what I mean? And so you just, like, you're not doing anything in there, you just, you know, but you just lock yourself away. So it's like, there's nothing that's sacred anymore in your life, right? You know how it is, parents. And so I'm like, this is my car. Finally, this is mine, right? And so, like, kids get in the car, I'm like, okay, you're not to eat, you have to drink, I don't want you to breathe in the car. Okay, just hold your breath and sit there and don't move until you have to get out, Okay. And you will wipe down your fingerprints with a cloth. Well, my daughter, she does gym, competitive gymnastics. And so we have this, we drive out to this gym in Peoria and we're, we're uh, you know, this carpool thing with these other girls. And so one night, you know, it's my turn to pick up. So I go out and I pick up these girls up. And, and I, so I got three 10-year-olds in the backseat of the car and they got like chalk dust all over them and stuff from flipping around and everything. And these, they've been exercising for like four and a half hours straight. And, and sure enough, I'm driving in the car, and all of a sudden I hear this like, right? This girl's like chewing on, like crunching stuff in the back of my car. And I'm looking, and there's like, there's crumbs like, like this, and they're just falling. And I'm like, who raises these children? And then they get out, and there's like all over the stitching, there's like Cheetos. And then, I kid you not, one of my kids, like two weeks later, says, hey, Dad, you see this? And in the little handle of the door, there's a dried, stuck piece of chocolate <laughs> melted and stuck in the inside of my car. And they defamed my car. They, they desecrated my car. Now, here's the thing. And I'm like, I'm like God, can I just have anything in the world that can just be mine? And God's like, no. <laughs> Are you stupid? <laughs> no, of course not. What's the point? I'm not going to give my car away. But God didn't give me that car so that it could be mine. He gave it to me so that I could use it and engage with my community and be a part of a carpool, you know, taking other terrible people around in it. And you know what I mean? Like it's supposed to, it's supposed to be used. It's not supposed to be in a museum. It's not going to go to the Smithsonian when it's done. Like, wow. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be used. And so do I mean give everything away? No. But the stuff that we have, did God give it to me so it could be mine? Or did he give it to me so that I could use it and let it flow and let it go and let it be out there for people to use and to have and to enjoy along with me? You ought to think about that. Because it's not just giving everything away. It's the usefulness of things that you have. Now that leads me to the second thing. 
And that is this, generosity creates meaning in life. Why? Because it allows you to make incredible change in the world. Look what it says in verse three. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So what's happening? They hear, the Macedonian churches hear there's a problem in Jerusalem, and they're saying, we want to help. Don't count us out. Don't leave us out of this. We want to make a real difference in the world. We want to help. We want these people to know that we care. And when you have, whatever you have, if it's a lot or if it's a little, you can use what you have to put it into use to be able to make real change and really change people's situations and really change the way things look by how you invest that and use that properly for the, for the purposes of God. Generosity allows you to be able to get a stake in things that expand your life. And this is, by the way, why Jesus said very clearly, he says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because it's a stupid investment. Because moth and rust are going to destroy and the market's going to go down and kids are going to eat in the back of your car and all this kind of stuff. And then he says, don't do that. Instead, invest your treasures in heaven. Why? Because their moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when I give to other people, I am forming a relationship with that person. I am building history with that person. And Jesus says, that goes into eternity. This is why he said in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, after he gave a long parable, which we don't have time to go into, the punchline of the parable is this. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Meaning... Make friends with you, use your stuff to make friends with people and to do things for them and to be gracious and generous with them because as you do that, you're forming relationships and then when you go to heaven, they'll go, I remember you. Man, remember this? This is powerful stuff. You use your, your, your stuff to be able to build relationships because they say, oh, you can't take it with you, you know, and you've never seen a U-Haul uh, up against, you know, following a hearse. You know what I mean? That old joke, you know, you can't have a hearse with a trailer hitch on it and that kind of thing. And it's true. You can't take anything with you, but you can take your relationships and you will take your relationships and you will take the history that you built with people as you use the things that God gave you and were generous with things and were bold and faithful with how you gave. And by the way, this is why these, you, this always amazes us, the stories of people who give when they didn't hardly have anything. And it's almost like we step back at that and we go, man, that's so admirable. That's like requires so much faith. That requires so much love. That requires so much courage to give what little you have so someone else could have more. So someone else could have something that they needed. Third, generosity should be, no, should be what I'm known for. Verse seven, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the word excel literally means overflow. It means overflow, overflow in generosity. What does that look like? It's really gotta be a whole shifting of the mentality to say, can I actually become known for being generous? There's a lot of people that want to be known for being rich. I want to known, be known for being successful in terms of look at my house, look at my cars, and look at all this stuff, and look at all these things I have. But how about being known for being generous? Because, you know, when you die someday, no one's going to stand up and say, well, you know, this person, uh, they were so great because they had so much money. No. 
They're going to they're gonna say about you, man, this person was the most generous person I ever knew. And people will go, wow, that's so cool. I wish I could be like that. And you have the opportunity to do that regardless of your income, regardless of how much you make. It doesn't matter. It was, it's what flows out of you because that demonstrates the character that you believe this stuff is going to come back in. And there's just some, there's no other way to substitute for that. That's a qualitative fact of a person's life that either you have or you don't. So how do you get started? You got to be intentional. You know, I tell you, I'm, I'm, not a, I, I'm not a huge give money to guys on the side of the road kind of guy. I'm just, I'm just not. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I never do that. Although the, uh, I will brag on our, our elder board chairman. Uh, I was behind him one time. He didn't know this, but I was just happy to get, get behind him on the freeway um, right at Litchfield over here. We get both getting off the freeway. And there was this homeless guy standing there or whatever. And he was, you know, had this little sign. And uh, so Jim rolls the window down and I see him hand this guy a McDonald's gift card. And, and, I, and so I went up to him later. I said, man, I saw you. I saw you on the freeway. I saw you give this guy a McDonald's gift card. He says, yeah. He says, that's what I do. I have a little stack of gift cards and I just, I give those guys uh, cards rather than give them money so that way they won't go buy drugs. And it's true because you can't buy drugs at McDonald's, right? At least not yet. <laughs> Especially since Prop 205 didn't pass, right? <laughs> I'll take that marijuana shake, please. Um, that's where it was going, I'm telling you. So anyway, so we dodged that bullet. But in any case, but that's what he does. And that's what part of, but, but whatever you decide to do, you be intentional about that. You gotta be intentional about what, what you, how you're gonna handle this. But it's gotta be, in the, 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 there's gotta be something where your, your conscience has to say, okay, and here's the question I have for you. Is there a line item in your budget for generosity. Ooh. Ooh. Now, I'm not telling you there's one in my budget because I just came up with this like two days ago and, and I had to think about that. But it's a good question to ask. In other words, is there space in my budget? Or is like every penny so accounted for that I'm sorry, there's absolutely no possible way that I can give anything. You might have a, I'll tell you what, you might have the nicest car in the church parking lot and the biggest house and you might take the greatest vacations, but if you do not have space in your budget to give to other people, you are the most poor person in the room. So put that in your little pipe and smoke it. I'm not joking. You are the most impoverished person in the world, in the room. If you are enslaved to your stuff to such a degree that there's no possible room to give to anybody or anything. And yet you could be somebody who's, I'll tell you, you know, we get on millennials. They're out there breaking windows and running around and, you know, getting art degrees and not doing anything. And um, people, you know, like, what's the, what is this millennial generation we're raising, right? So if you're a millennial, don't worry, I'm going to bring you back around. Okay, because... Love you guys, but you're getting, a, you're getting kind of a hard knock. You have some bad representatives right now out there um, for you. But I'll tell you, I had a millennial come up to me last week. Last, just last week, totally unannounced. Big old smile on his face. Doesn't make, doesn't make a ton of money. I'm not going to give you too much of a description in case any of you know who he is or protect his identity. But he said, I just want to tell you. He said, my wife and I, we talked about this. And, I'm, I just, and he's a friend. And he said, I just want to give this to you. I want to give it because my wife and I felt compelled to give this to the church. And he gave me a check. And it was a quite a, a good amount of money. It was not a paltry amount of money. It wasn't like $100,000, but it was more than you would expect from a millennial who's not like Mark Zuckerberg. You know what I'm saying? It was a good amount of money. And he just said, hey, I, I norm I normally I don't take checks like that, but he just, he's a friend and, he's, and he had this big smile and he just said, you know, we prayed about this. And, 
And you know, I'm telling you, it elevated him and it, and he, and his, it matured him and there was, it was a process they went through and they tr- were trusting God. And I'm telling you, I know their situation. I know their, their, their stage in life with, their, with you know, having a, a little one and everything else. And, I'm, and, and I know there's a lot, there are a million places that money that he gave could go to a young family. There's a million places that could have been much better used in the eyes of a lot of people. But he said, no, we want to do this because we believe in this place and we believe in the ministry here and God compelled us and we want to be able to be the kind of people who can be generous. And I was floored. So millennials, you guys, you have hope, okay? Um, I'm not down on you. Um, but, but here's my point is, is, is it comes from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Okay, and it's not about how much money you make. It's about the heart that's behind it. And this isn't a message about giving to the church. This is a message about generosity in all areas. And we do it now before um, Christmas because a lot of times people make really bad decisions around the holidays with their money and then they end up paying for it into the new year. So before we do that, I want us to get the right attitude, the right perspective, the right understanding about what it is that God's given us, why we have this now before we make some of these bad decisions so we can head some of them off, and that's the whole purpose. And let me just finally bring it around to this. The only reason we're talking about this is because God is a giving God, and he gave us Jesus Christ. And man, what we sang about today, if that doesn't fire you up, man, grace upon grace upon grace, that my sins were, were a massive debt where the interest rate is so high, you could never pay for your sins on your own. Don't even try. If you think you can stand before God and say, oh, I'll go to purgatory, you, you, it would be eternity in purgatory because it sins against an eternal God and you can't pay for that in time. So sorry, it doesn't work. The only way to be free from sin, the only way to, to have restoration in your heart is, is to be able to know the debt that was paid by Jesus Christ for you because God is a generous God and all we're asking is nothing more for you from you than you just simply understand that first and everything else will follow. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I've been convicted of that. I know in my heart. I'm, I see these people get baptized here, sing about forgiveness of sin. I know the condition of my heart. I want to receive this generous gift of Jesus. Right where you are, just tell God, say, God, I want to come to know you. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to be a Christian. Right here today, I repent of my sins. I repent of my attitude, of my belief that I could do it all on my own. I want to grab this generosity. I want it to start from you, and I want to believe that you are the source of all things today. And so I tell you today that you are in charge of my life. Tell them that right now. I'm making a change today, a 180-degree turn. I'm ready to believe in Jesus, and I'm ready to embrace the generosity of my God. If you're a Christian here today, maybe you've been slipping into that default mode of putting a little much, too much stock in your stuff, hanging on to it just a little too tightly, and realizing, you know, God gave this to me to use, to make friends with people that I can celebrate with in eternity, to store up for myself treasures in heaven. That's kind of a selfish thing, but God says it's okay, because when it comes to heaven, that's what you want. And so tell God right now, you know, God, I'm willing. I'm opening up my hand, and I'm just giving you back all my stuff. All that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm re-surrendering it to you. You do with it as you please, because it belongs to you. And if I can be used to change the world 
and change a life because of the stuff that you've given me, then I'm willing. I'm willing. Thank you, God, for the challenge. You always give us a challenge. You always step it up in our lives, and you always make life interesting for us as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info, and we'll see you next time.